Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and you're listening to I Love That Movie. And if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, I'm under AYA Lisa Cosplay. I'm also on Instagram under AYA and as a Nancy AMI Lisa. And we've got a closed Facebook group called I Love That Movie. Uh, the group is closed, but just send me a request and I'll add you. It's a safe space for movie lovers to discuss their favorite films judgment free. My only rule is keep it positive. And if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. Um, right now, if you give us a positive review on iTunes, you're automatically entered to win a $20 gift card to movie theater chain of your choice. Currently, we're sitting at 23 reviews. So once I get to 30, I'm going to draw a name. So yeah, leave one today. And I have a guest with me here today, a returning guest. He was on our best ofs episode. Uh, say hi, Thomas. Hey, Lisa. How's it going? Awesome. Um, yeah, so we had you, let's see, which which episode did we cover? We did Inception. Inception, that's right. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's one of my favorite episodes. That was so fun. It, yeah, so, it was. Yes, and so you. Um, it ended up being one of the top most downloaded episodes of the year. And so I had you back on to kind of recap and discuss that. And we talked about what you might want to discuss next. And mm-hmm. Back to the Future Part 2 was one of those movies. So yeah, so yeah. Yeah, well, I'm excited we got to do this. So I guess let's start off a little bit with this. Uh, when did you first see Back to the Future 2? I'm assuming you didn't see it in theaters. I know I did. I didn't. No, <laughs> I didn't see it in theaters, unfortunately. I, I think I was alive. It came out in 1989. So yeah, I was yeah. I was one years old. Um, and uh, um, But I was thinking about this the other day because I knew you, I knew you were going to ask it. And so I – sorry, this might be a little bit long-winded. but um, no, go for it. So – did you watch the Back to the Future cartoon as a kid? I did. Yes. Okay, I loved sweet. that cartoon. <laughs> so yeah, I remember I remember having memories of the the cartoon and then that and the Where's Waldo cartoon. I feel like they had like a little double feature with those, but um I remember so, that, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think it was in like 1996, my brother and I we rented one of the cartoons and I actually remember the episode they go back to the Revolutionary War times and Doc Brown runs into the Liberty Bell. That's how the Liberty Bell gets the big crack in it. Anyways, but <laughs> um but yeah, so we rented that and I remember just it was like over Christmas break. And I remember just being like super into the concept and I was like, man, I wanna it's like I need to go watch the movies. Like I remember I knew there was movies and so my family, we owned the first one and so we watched it and then we immediately went and rented two and three. And so that was when I first saw it. And I was, so I was six or seven at the time. Um, and just totally like, I remember I loved the first one. I watched the next second one and it was like, 
I, I love that one even more. And I watched the third one at the time. I loved that one even more. And so, um, but as like the years went on, number two always was just like the future parts of this movie always just totally grabbed me and got me excited. And so it was one that I've, yeah, I've loved this movie ever since I was a kid. So. Yeah, I was trying to think. I think for me, I was around the age of probably like 12 when I really started getting into it. And I, I know there's like a picture of me. I mentioned this in my when we talked about uh, me and Ian talked about the, the first Back to the Future movie in a, in a previous episode. And uh, there's a picture of me at Universal Studios standing in front of the DeLorean when it was still oh, nice. there. And they still had the Back to the Future ride. I became like ridiculously obsessed with these movies um around then and i was thinking about it the other day i was like when i was 12 that was actually 10 years after 1985 uh, it was 1995 mm. so i'm like i got into it i guess 10 years after the first one came out mm-hmm. um but or the first one takes place rather um but yeah like i i was really into these um I was very excited about them. And I think when I was a kid, I probably did like the third one, kind of like you were mentioning a little bit more, maybe because it was newer. I don't know, but I really loved it. And it wasn't until I got older that I realized people sort of ranked these three movies. Like to me, all three of them were perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and I was the same like, way. Yeah. And as I got older, you know, I think, I think specifically this one gets a little bit more criticism than some of the other movies. And I, I'm excited to talk about it for that reason, because I think that it kind of gets an unfair rap and right. I, I think it actually is pretty brilliant and, and a great film. And so I kind of want to talk about that. Well, and it's funny because like, I remember like, like the third one was my favorite as a kid. I think just the Western part of it and yeah, maybe it's the mm-hmm. newer one, but I remember as I got older, I heard that that was the one everyone always crapped on was the third one. And so, but mm-hmm. then that's true too. But then like, as I was doing some research for this, I, I saw like the Rotten Tomatoes score, like this is the lowest one. Um, just, yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of people have more issues with this one. So I, that it's interesting to me. So. Yeah. I remember, um, I think, you know, I've talked to fans of these movies and even some of them are like, yeah, the second one's kind of terrible. And I'm like, huh? You know, oh, I man. never thought of it as terrible at all. So so that was kind of interesting. And um, I saw this uh, YouTube video. I think I sent, sent it to you. I'm going to look it up really fast because I'm trying to remember the title of it. I gave you the link, but. Oh, right. See. Yeah. I, I didn't get a chance to watch it. I wish I. Oh, no worries. Um, it's called the lazy brilliance of back to the future part two. I'm going to post a link in the show notes and I'll, I'll post it in our groups too, but it was really interesting. It broke down like why, um, they felt that this actually was a really good movie and gave some really specific points about why they thought that. And we'll kind of talk a little, I'll touch on some of those in our discussion, but it really made me feel better because I was like, (laughs) no, I've always really liked this movie a lot and I think it's really good. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, um, so I was curious though, you said you, you had a picture of the DeLorean at Universal Studios. Did, was this the Florida one or the um, California one? It was the California one because uh, I have a lot of family in California mm-hmm. and we used to go out there every two years. So it, it was definitely that one. Yeah. I was in peak dork mode. Hmm. I was 12 years old, super awkward. I think I'm wearing like khaki fatigues and like a tank top. It's like very like nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> I need to find that picture though. I used to be so embarrassed of it that I like pretended like it didn't happen, but now I'm, I'm I think it's pretty, pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was really into it. I think I actually have a weird story 
uh, this is kind of a tangent before we continue talking about this movie on that same trip, I think like the same trip where I went to see the back to the future ride uh, right after we went to universal, we went over to, I think it was Santa Barbara um, and we were walking around there and my dad said, Hey, I think that's Christopher Lloyd over there. And he pointed at a guy and I looked over and, you know, I thought it was just like my dad being my dad, like, oh, he's like making fun of me because he knows I'm obsessed with these movies. But it actually was him. Oh, really? <laughs> so we like randomly saw him. And um, it, it's weird. Like, I wish I could find this video because my dad used to take a video camera everywhere we went. And so he had a video camera also. And so he told his sister, my aunt, to like hold the camera and he was going to go talk to him. <laughs> and so funny. he told me he was like yeah he was like hey we should go meet him right now and just say hi to him and i i don't know why but i suddenly became very afraid and i refused to go with him to go say hi mm. i was terrified it was too much for me i was like so into these movies yeah. and just seeing him in person was just intense and i was a kid and so i i like hid <laughs> I like would not come out and my dad like went over there and talked to him and shook his hand and he said he was really nice and he came back and then after that you know i immediately regretted my decision i was like why did i do that you know that's he's like one of my heroes i should have met yeah. him and it was something i regretted for years and then uh several years ago i was at a convention here in Dallas and he was there. And so I got to meet him and I took a picture with him. So there's a picture oh, of nice. us like, like hugging, like, Oh, it's like, <laughs> it's such a wonderful moment. Yeah. Did you tell, did you tell him that story? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't uh, have a ton of time, but yeah. he was so nice and so warm. And he like gave me a hug and it was, it was an amazing end cap to my, to that previous experience. Yeah. So. And those conventions <laughs> when you meet, celebrities they don't yeah you don't always have a lot of time but um, yeah that's that's cool though I'm glad you got to meet him yeah and I was glad that he was like super nice too you know you're always kind of afraid on some level to like meet your heroes and he was right. super super nice so one thing about the ride is so we live in Arizona which we're six hours from Southern California mm -hmm. drive you know but I've we never went to Universal Studios growing up and so when I finally went as an adult the ride was already closed um, yeah. And I've I'm, I'm always been so mad about that because I just – I've always <laughs> wanted to go on the ride. Yeah, I never got to. And it's just – anyways, it really makes you really mad. So I know. And you know what's weird too is like, okay, so I was actually there um, a couple months ago. Uh, we were – we went to a wedding in California for someone um, – one of my cousins got married and we decided to go to universal because we had, we just flew out a couple days early and we went, um, it was me and my husband and my father. And when we were in the gift shops, like some of them still have like a bunch of back to the future stuff and ET stuff. But yeah, the one in California doesn't have any of that anymore. And I'm just like, it's sad. Like seeing the merch, I'm like, can't they bring this back? I like I, I kind of understand like, you know, now it's transformers and you know, stuff that I guess is bigger now, but yeah. it's just, yeah, it's disappointing. So I feel you. I feel you. Well, the uh, Despicable Me took over that spot, I oh. guess. There's a Despicable Me ride. And it's like, I've been on the Despicable Me ride. It is not that great. And <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm not the audience for it, I guess, but still it's just, but the cool thing is we were there last March and um, they still have like Doc Brown, I think is still there. You know, walking around oh, in character. Okay, yeah, I saw a lot of like the Universal monsters, but I didn't see Doc Brown. So that's mm -hmm. kind of, that's cool. I'm glad they have that. Yeah, 
So that's the thing about Back to the Future is, you know, with, I know Robert Zemeckis is like adamant there will never be a sequel. And I mean, I think that's probably for the best. But what happens when you don't make, because, you know, you see like we've got revival of Star Wars, Jurassic Park, all these classic movies from when we were young are making comebacks. And so they're in the mind of people's, you know, they're popular again. And so like people those rides at like Disneyland stick around. And I feel like sometimes I, I I'm the, have this fear that back to the future is gonna, you know, we won't be talking about it again. People won't be talking about that much in 20 years as they are something like Jurassic park or star Wars yeah. or whatever, you know, because they, they're not producing new content for it. Um, at least in a way that most general audiences would see. So I always have this like fear that we won't, Back to the Future is going to die out, and it makes me really sad. I just hope that doesn't happen. I completely agree with you. I know, like, uh, so when we did the Back to the Future Part 1, I guess you could call it, or just Back to the Future um, episode, I had Ian on here, and he said that he had tried to introduce this movie to his his little sisters. Um, And I think that they were either teenagers or 18, like close to adult age. And he showed it to them, and they watched it. And then after, he was like, what did you think? And they were just like, uh, it's an old movie. I don't know. It was fine. Mm. And he was like horrified. Oh, makes me sad. Yeah. And it like <laughs> legit bummed me out. Now I will say I tweeted about this, um, watching this the other day and, uh, the guy from the tales from the fandom podcast said that, uh, he introduced it to his kids and they loved it. So hopefully, mm. you know, I guess it's mixed, <laughs> mixed reactions there. Yeah. But I agree with you. I mean, the the whole thing is dated. I think it's dated in a way that's good. It's very like time capsule and like even though this is supposed to take place in the future, this movie is extremely 80s, more so than the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, it is kind of a concern. I a lot of people complained about Ready Player One uh, last year, and I was like, "There's some upsides to Ready Player One to to bathing in the nostalgia of the '80s because it's all the stuff that we liked, right. making newer, younger audiences interested in the DeLorean, interested in you know a lot of the older stuff that we all enjoyed. So like, I I, yeah. I see what you're saying. Like I. A part of me is like hates the idea of a reboot. It's probably the only thing that I feel sensitive about when it comes to reboot. But mm-hmm. it does. It is kind of like sad if it dies out at the same time. Right. Yeah. And I. It's like it's like Ready Player One. I mean, the, I, that's a really good point. Actually, they do. They do have a lot of great callbacks to this movie um, or these movies. But I think, yeah, I don't. I don't need a sequel or, or necessarily a reboot. I just wish there was a way for it to continue in the and be something that is the eyes of like the public or the you yeah, know like, like audience members culture. that aren't yeah and i think i mean they've done a pretty good job like in 2015 you know when which is the the year the future year in this film like they did a lot of stuff i feel like there was a lot of like you know i saw that uh michael j fox and uh christopher lloyd were on i think it was jimmy kimmel mm-hmm. They came in from the DeLorean, you know, so they did stuff like that. And I, you know, I guess I just hope that it stays relevant. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I was watching the, I guess like the 2015, I think my dad had bought, unfortunately they were DVD, the regular DVD, <laughs> but he oh. had bought like the collection. So I borrowed just to watch the, uh, 
just to watch the special features and then I bought a digital version so I could see it in HD but because <laughs> I was like I just I just bought the digital ones yeah. too this week because I was like you know what? I need to get the HD because <laughs> yeah oh I've had the DVDs for so long yeah exactly I was like I need to I need more but um but yeah so I I completely agree with you I really hope that it stays relevant and I I almost wonder if playing on the nostalgia of it being in the 80s would be part of that it's almost like mm-hmm. if they ever remade it as long as they kept everything in the 80s you know what I mean? Like maybe that would be the way that yeah. you could keep it kind of the same. Um, Cause right. it feels almost like the whole thing is sort of about nostalgia. Like the first, second and third one are all sort of about that. So I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see what happens in the future. Yeah, um, for sure. I guess before we continue, I'm going to go ahead and read the uh, synopsis and then okay. I'll touch on a couple quick facts and then you feel free to jump in if you need to. In this zany sequel, time-traveling duo Marty McFly, Michael J. Fox, and Dr. Emmett Brown, Christopher Lloyd, return from saving Marty's future son from disaster, only to discover that their own time transformed. In this nightmarish version of Hill Valley, Marty's father has been murdered by Biff Tannen, Marty's nemesis, um, and he has profited. After uncovering the secret to Biff's success, a sports almanac from the future, Marty and Doc embark on a quest to repair the space-time continuum. Pretty concise version of yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it's a lot of detail <laughs> yeah I know I was like looking around because some of them were like a little too short I thought this one was sort of an in between um, so I have a couple quick facts I want to throw out you could literally uh, just talk about facts from this movie for hours and not even touch on the plot yeah. it, there's just so much cool behind the scenes stuff to this trilogy it's very interesting I've got um, a visual history book uh, that I posted a picture the other day which is it's awesome. Not only is that book really cool and has so many giant pictures of behind the scenes notes, but it also has like sort of um, pieces of paper and, and things that are slipped into it that are almost like uh, like little like paraphernalia in and of itself. Like they, it comes with like a picture of the clock tower being struck by lightning and mm, it comes cool. with the letter that, you know, Marty gets from Doc. It has like a bunch of stuff, the disappearing photograph. It's got all that in the book. I should like put a link to that one too, so you can buy it. I, I yeah. met the guy that wrote the book. He's one of the actors in the movie, um, and he just compiled like all this information about the trilogy, and it's really really interesting. That's cool, yeah. yeah. But um, so I won't. We won't just talk about quick facts the whole time. But here are a few of them. Um, so I don't know if you noticed this or if you've heard this, but. This is the first film appearance of Elijah Wood. He's one of the, yeah. the two video game boys that Marty talks to in the diner. Yeah, I, yeah, I've, yeah. It's funny to see that. <laughs> um, I've, I've actually been doing a rewatch of the Middle Earth films, and so I just finished oh. the Fellowship recently, and so, I, and I was watching this movie this week too. So it's, it was kind of fun to see, see those two roles. <laughs> yeah, it's small, but it's, but it's, it's interesting. It's like his first one. So the the whole plot of George McFly being dead in 1985 was based entirely on Crispin Glover's refusal to do the sequel. And I mm. think it's interesting how many plot points in these movies are because of some restriction. You know, like, I think, uh, so that was one point. You know, I, you've probably heard this before. Crispin Glover ended up suing, uh, you know, Universal because he isn't in the movie he refused to do it he wanted too much money and you know 
Robert and um, Bob were just like, that's not possible. We can't give you, that's way out of our budget. And you're not even like a big enough name to warrant that much money. And so they were like, fine, we'll just write him out of it. And then, but then they used sort of, you know, a different actor standing in, they used footage of his face from the first one. And so he ended up suing them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like it, it ends up being a huge plot point that he's dead. And they said they had to kind of figure out a way to put it into the plot where it wasn't too obvious so that audiences weren't talking about it afterward. They weren't like, hey, I noticed mm-hmm. he wasn't there. So they kind of wove it into the plot and you do get to see him later in 85, you know, just a different actor. Um, yeah. And it was all kind of to avoid the controversy of him not being in the film. Well, I, I actually think it, his, him, what are we doing spoilers from here? Is that? Oh yeah, we can. I, oh, yeah, I you already spoiled it already. <laughs> so, we, yeah, we'll spoil, um, we always spoil these. <laughs> okay. So um, I think that it's, it actually works in advantage of the movie of him being dead already because i think that's such a great dramatic moment in the film yeah marty finds that out so I, I in the long run i think it works it's it's funny like crispin glover um i feel like he you know i haven't seen a ton of stuff with him in it but i i love him in the first one i think oh, he's yeah, like such too. a weird quirky guy and so it was always kind of sad that he didn't come back for the sequels but um a couple of, well actually this was like 10 years ago probably my two of my older brothers they went to so um Thomas F. Wilson, who plays Biff, was doing some comedy show here um, in Arizona. (laughs) Have you seen him before? No. Okay. So this is weird. And I I found out that I keep having this conversation with my close friends. So one of my best friends growing up, Sandy, her bachelorette party was actually to see Thomas F. Wilson. Really? Yeah. (laughs) And this was like a long time ago, like several years ago. But she said he like pulled up in a DeLorean and came out and like did a whole stand up routine. And they said he was really funny. But yeah, I was like messaging her. I'm like, did I make this up or did you see him? live and she was like i did and she was telling me about it recently so oh man so that's, that's why so i jumped cool. in i was like okay yes yes okay go ahead though yeah so <laughs> well, my brothers they went to this thing it was like a last minute thing they just happened to go and i was in high school and i was like super annoyed that they didn't invite me or i don't know why i couldn't <laughs> go but they after, anyways they said they like he sang this song and it was about his back to the future experience and about like different people that he worked with and i guess in one of the lines he said something he like stops and he says Christian Glover's name and he's like he's like I never talked and the line was like I never talked to him or something like meaning that he was just kind of this like recluse on set and didn't really interact with the rest of the cast um anyways I thought that was interesting so I don't know how true that is or whatever but maybe it was just um uh Thomas F. Wilson's experience with him but I found that kind of interesting though yeah he's he's definitely an odd guy I, I saw him several years ago on uh, a late night talk show and he was explaining that like one of his hobbies is he has a lot of apothecary tables like old timey hospital type tables and old timey like wax sculptures of different body parts like he's a weird dude so mm. <laughs> he's just an yeah person but yeah he clearly overplayed his hand he he wanted more money and it was that was just not going to happen but because of that lawsuit they did make a lot of rules um around you know how much you can use footage of someone from a different movie and not pay them you know because he did kind of have a point um they did use his image later and and really he should be compensated for that so it ended up there's a lot of stuff in these films that ended up changing things for films going forward which i think is Mm. really interesting and well it's funny because now like with carrie fisher being Mm -hmm. you know passing away and in the new star wars that's kind of like 
Um, obviously, they have unused footage, but I would imagine that they might have to use doubles and put her face on. You know, I mean, I don't know, maybe not, but so I, it's I kind agree, of yeah. Like it's kind of interesting that that yeah, it's still something that going on now with especially with the increase of technology oh definitely and when i was saying earlier like sometimes restrictions ended up you know impacting the plot in a good way another one was i think in the first one they wanted it to end with like a giant atomic explosion and they were looking at like locations where they were going to shoot it and all that and then the studio was basically like no you have to shoot everything Mm -hmm. here we're not going to give you extra money and so they were like well now what are we going to do i mean how are we going to have a big finale and that's how they came up with lightning striking the clock tower you know the clock is time like it it really brought the whole plot full circle and it's i think thematically it's just more it makes more sense and it's more exciting than if they just ended it with an explosion so i think there's several times in this movie where something like that happened they were told you have to cut back you have to be creative and they were and i think it, it actually ended up with you know a better film because of it right yeah i agree actually let's go ahead do, do you have any quick facts you wanted to to jump in um, the only thing that I thought, I mean, there's there's a lot, like you said, but one thing <laughs> I just thought was worthy of pointing out was, um, and I just found this on the Wikipedia page, but it said originally, like, they were thinking of having the film take place in 1967. Oh, yeah, I did read um, that. Yeah. And so, but then they kind of came up with this time paradox plot point, um, and they thought it would be cool to, like, go back to 1955 from a different perspective. And so... Um, anyway, I thought that's interesting. I mean, th- there wasn't much more, at least that I found, saying anything about what that would look like. Uh, I thought I know at one point that I heard that they were like wanting to do like their his parents' colleges college years, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think I prefer where they they ended up going to the future and then going back. Um, but anyway, what just kind of interesting? Maybe it would have been a totally different movie probably had they gone that route. Yeah, and I think originally, too, the the Western part of it, they wanted to even include in this movie. So there was going to be like four different time periods. And Mm. then, you know, eventually studios were like, no, you need to like simplify this. You need to make it easier to follow. And so they had to go back and change it. And I think even the 60s thing may have been like a budget um, thing as well because then they would have had to make another hill valley there would have had to have been like oh, a 1950s right. hill valley a 60s mm-hmm. and 80s you know modern it's like or 80s was modern back then <laughs> yeah. but yeah they would have had to make too many hill valleys and i think they ended up thinking like all right we just let's just go back to 1955 that will be a little bit easier because we can just use some of that footage and we can also you know revisit some of those scenes Mm-hmm. Um, and so that I think that was part of why they ended up going with that decision. But yeah, it would have been a completely different movie. Right. And it, I think it would have run the risk of just being, as the studio said, a little too confusing and, and too many things going on. Yeah, no, totally. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about Robert Zemeckis next. Uh, you know, he directed this movie, obviously. Forrest Gump, uh, Beowulf, Polar Express, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Romancing the Stone. But he calls this movie the most... Uh, intense and strangest movie he's ever made. <laughs> this movie specific, Back to the Future 2? Yes. And huh. I think that's because uh, he, he said that he never – well, first of all, they did not want to make a sequel. I don't know if you if you read that. But they, uh, they, were, they kind of – like Robert Zemeckis thought of that as kind of like selling out. Um, mm. He felt that sequels are just – 
it's almost like they're a different thing from feature films. Um, they're guaranteed openers. So they're mostly, he felt like they were mostly commercial marketing and that he also felt that sequels bring really unrealistic expectations. And mm. what he means by that is audiences, they want to see Doc and Marty again. They like their dynamic and who they are. They want things to remain the same, but then they also want something brand new. And that's really hard to do. And that's why a lot of sequels, are kind of disappointing, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think this is one of the few sequels that really works. And I feel like it does because of their awareness of that. But they they basically were had no plans to make a sequel when the first one ended with the line about, you know, it's your kids, Marty. You know, he's like, what do we become assholes or something? He's like, no, it's your kids, you know? Yeah. And so they go, then they end with the DeLorean like taking off. Well, they had no plot to go with that. That was just a joke. You know, they, that was just the end. He never planned on making a sequel, but what happens with uh, properties like back to the future, they become so lucrative that they become their own thing. And Robert Zemeckis basically didn't own it. Um, and so studios told him we want to make a sequel. And he was like, well, I'm not going to do that. And they were like, well, it's going to happen. I mean, if you don't want to make the sequel, that's fine. We'll find somebody else, but it's going to happen. <laughs> that's, so he was yeah that's so interesting yeah <laughs> yeah so he was like oh uh in that case i do want to do it so you know he he wanted that creative control because if he doesn't do it then someone else is going to do it and someone else is going to ruin back to the future at least right. the way he saw it yeah well it's i'm i've i've just been looking at his uh filmography and he actually has never done a sequel outside of these two movies so it's it's yeah that's kind of something yeah. that sounds like he still sticks by and I know I, right. I've seen him be very adamant that there will never be another Back to the Future film. Um, you know, like if it's, it's, you know, like he said something like, as long as I'm alive, there will never be <laughs> another Back to the Future movie. So, but it's interesting because his like career, I feel like, you know, in the 80s and the, you know, early 90s and even early 2000s, he was popped out a lot of hits. Um, but I feel like it's like he's kind of, struggled a bit since then not that he hasn't made good movies but like they just haven't been real big hits and then um welcome to the Marwin, which is was just released with steve carell i was i haven't seen it yet but i mean i've it's been not getting the best reviews it didn't do well financially yeah, surprising yeah so it's interesting to track his career and kind of see where things are at um you know i remember there was a rumor too that he was going to be involved in the the Flash Flashpoint movie at one point, which got a lot of people excited because it's you know the time yeah, travel like stuff. Back to the Future, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I would I'm curious if he would ever jump in and do something like that because of where his career's gone. I mean, I don't think he's needs to necessarily. I think he's still a great filmmaker. But, anyways, it's just it's kind of an interesting thing to see where his career has kind of been going the last few years. No, I completely agree. I think part of it is like he takes really big risks. Like I feel yeah. that. Polar Express and Beowulf are good films, but I don't know that everyone was ready for that yet, especially like Beowulf being so serious and completely mm -hmm. CG. It almost felt like people were, I don't know, we're still at that stage of people saying that animation is for kids and they were just kind of like not sure what to do with that. And I think maybe he got bored and he wanted to do bigger and more interesting things and that just hasn't really 
panned out. And yeah, then uh, yeah, Welcome to Marwin came out. I kind of from the trailers, I expected to like that movie, but I'll admit, seeing the reviews, I'm just kind of left thinking, oh, I don't know, I might wait till it hits video. And yeah, that's that how I've been too. Sad. I mean, because yeah, I, I was like, okay, it's Steve Carell. I love Steve Carell. And then it's got Robert Zemeckis. It should be great, you know. And and even stuff like you know, uh, like Allied, the, his other movie with Brad Pitt, and um, um, blanket on who the actress was in that, but that it you know like it was a good movie, but it didn't like blow me away, you know, kind of like some of his other stuff that I really enjoy. But I still liked it, you know, and supported it. But um, so yeah, it's it's it'll be interesting to see where his career kind of goes from here. I, I I think he still has, you know, he's only 66. He can still make, he's still got a lot of good movies in him, I would think, but so. Yeah, I hope so. I completely agree. Yeah. I mean, he's made three of my all time favorite movies. So. <laughs> yeah. And I love who frame Roger rabbit. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. He's yeah. got some. Yeah. And then, uh, um, you know, and Forrest Gump's a classic and yeah, so he's got a lot of, a lot of good movies under his belt so exactly yeah so when he was making the sequel i think he was he was about to start making who framed roger rabbit and they were like nope we want the release to come out at this time and then basically robert Zemeckis said okay if you get christopher lloyd and michael j fox back i'll do it and so they went to them and they both said yes immediately there wasn't a lot of negotiating they were excited about it and ready to return but they made them sign a contract that they weren't just going to do a second one but a third one too mm. so that's how that whole you know having two and three back to back and that's why two and three are way more intertwined obviously than the first one right um and you can see all the seeds being planted in this movie for the third one throughout the film um, but yeah, that's how he kind of roped everyone in and got them to make three movies. <laughs> and, and was this, so, I, I'm not, maybe, uh, maybe it isn't, but is this one of the first times where they filmed sequels back to back like that? Yes. I think this was like, you know, I think the uh, Lord of the Rings films, which came out way later were, you know, I think that was the first time three movies were filmed back to back, but this was the first time two were filmed back to back. And I mean, it's so much so that I think, uh, Michael J. Fox has said he has trouble like remembering what happened when because he was just so busy these movies and they were yeah. it was just such an intense schedule that it was like they had no time to breathe and I think it's incredible that they film these two back to back like that and yet there's so many interesting kind of groundbreaking things that they filmed in this movie um, despite being under that much pressure right I guess it's just the power of having all the money that they did mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Also, I think the distinction between the two, like there's, I mean, two and three are very different movies. Um, I mean, they're still connected and everything, but I think there's a a very big distinction where I feel like two is this kind of more like dark movie and and it goes to some dark places where where three was more like fun and optimistic, you know, at least that's how I've always kind of looked at it. Sort of like the way that the Star Wars films, you know. Right, yeah. (laughs) Kind of the second one's always a little bit darker, but this one wasn't so dark that you're like bummed out at the end. Right. But yeah, it definitely, I mean, when you really break it down, there's some some really heavy stuff that happens. Right. I had to say heavy, but yeah, yeah, I I agree. The tone is just so different. Mm -hmm. Um, It's interesting that they made them at the same time. Uh, but yeah, another thing, and we'll probably get more into when we break down some of the scenes in the film. Uh, but this is where, so Robert Zemeckis was going to work on, you know, uh, 
on who framed Roger Rabbit next. That was originally his intention. And that was going to sort of revolutionize the whole split screen thing. You know, he was going to have to have live action people with cartoon characters. And that was uh, all, I think all that was done by ILM. Um, And so he, he told them, what if we use some of that technology that we want to use for that, but we use it in this film because sometimes we're going to have to have like the same actor in several different places or use old footage and have the actor next to it or, you know, things like that. Well, they came up with a VistaGlide camera. I'm not sure if, if you had read about that yet. No, I didn't know. Um, so normally when they do split screen, it was always at one shot, the camera's, you know, completely still. They come up with like a line of where they're going to split the screen and then they reshoot again, but they can't move the camera at all because if they do, then, you know, the scenes won't line up. Mm-hmm. So ILM, um, and specifically Bill Tondro, uh, came up with the software for this glide camera that was on a dolly that could, instead of just having a static split screen, could pan. And that way they could have the same actor, like, you know, do a scene. And then and the, the scene that I'm thinking of is with uh, Marty where he's uh, 40 years old and then his dad and oh, you know, yeah. everybody's mm. like in the scene where he plays like his daughter yeah. <laughs> himself. Yeah. <laughs> so that scene, like, you know, they needed to be able to have the camera pan and not just be focused on like one frame. So this uh, Bill Tundra came up with this um, software that would program the camera's movement. So instead of somebody manually moving the camera, it's, you know, it's a uh, program to move a specific way and pan specifically across the scene. Um, in fact, the visual history book that I have has a really awesome picture of this. Maybe I'll, I'll scan it and post it. Um, but it shows like exactly what the camera had to do and what the actors had to do. And that was a really stressful scene anyway, because it took so long to shoot because every time Marty switched to a different character um, or Michael, sorry. So it's just two different character. They had to, you know, take all his makeup off, put different makeup on and film him, um, as his father, his son and, or as himself, his son and his daughter. Mm. <laughs> and so like he had, that took a really long time. I think it took over a couple of days and there was even like a small earthquake that happened and they were like, no, wow. because they were worried that it had moved things, but it thankfully it didn't. Um, and they were able to keep it. But yeah, they invented that camera for this movie. And that's why the split screen stuff in this film looks so convincing and so much better. And they decided that one thing that makes split screen feel kind of wooden and obvious is the fact that you have to have like a static shot. But if they could move the shot, like they do also in the diner scene, um, and have you know him up at top and him at the bottom it feels more real because of that and so that's why that works really well in this film you know yeah that's really interesting I, yeah, I didn't know like the history of that but I mean it's yeah it comes together pretty flawlessly yeah and people have like kind of asked them like if you had the technology you do today like wouldn't that movie have been so much easier and like did you feel restricted and he was like well you know at the time we had cutting edge technology we you know cg wasn't being used yet and so everything that we worked with you know it was just what we had and it was cutting edge so no we thought you know we made things work and i don't think i would do it any differently like it it turned out perfectly and i do think this movie ages pretty well i think most of the effects look really good because they 
had because they had all those restrictions and they had to keep it like as real as possible. Yeah. And I think even like when they go to the future and it's like, you know, obviously it's not what the future ended up being, but I think it still is, yeah, it still does a really good job. I mean, it's funny to kind of see the Jaws graphic and kind of that, whole, <laughs> yeah. you know, 8-bit look kind of look, you know, from like the, the late 80s, but still like it still works, you know, it still holds up well, I think. Yeah. So one one other thing Robert Zemeckis mentioned, in addition to not wanting to do a sequel, is he didn't want to ever like try to predict the future. He said, you know, we always get it wrong. He said the closest was uh, Kubrick is like the best at predicting how things would look, but he couldn't come up with like a cell phone, right. you know? Um, there's some things you just can't predict. And so their approach was to make it funny. So I, I noticed that after hearing him say that this time, that they make a lot of jokes about the future, how things are now, and it keeps the mood kind of light. And uh, they decided to make the future optimistic. Normally when the future's depicted, it's very bleak. But in this movie, it's like very happy. And I think they did that because the Biff version of the present was so negative that they just didn't want to have like all this negativity throughout the movie. So they made it very positive looking. And I think by keeping it funny and sort of making fun of itself, it it keeps you from over-examining it too much or criticizing that it doesn't end up looking like how 2015 actually did, you know? Right. And well, that's part of the fun of it too, is just to see like what things they thought of, what things ended up actually happening, which most of them didn't. But um, yeah. but, but, but at the same time, that's not like you said, that's not what they were going for. They weren't trying to actually predict. It was just, let's just make this as fun and as cool as we can. And it works really well because as a kid watching this movie, you know, 2015 was still a ways off in the early 90s when I watched it or mid 90s. And uh, mm-hmm. it's so it was still fun to think like as a young kid, just be like, oh man, is this is this what the future is going to be like? And you know, or like hoverboards and hover cars. That that's probably like the really cool one that stands out. Of like, when are we going to get this technology? And I think people are still asking that question. I know I thought, but it's um, it's it's so much fun to see it all come together and and uh, and just like how they. Uh, I bet like you know, as I can imagine, as a filmmaker, is just thinking of like how much fun it would be just to like. Oh, what if what if they have this in the future and this thing, you know, just to kind of come up with like a list of stuff and just kind of throw it all out there and see what sticks, you know? Yeah, he was like, I think the director told the the uh, production design team, he's like, just put some weird stuff, like put up some weird signs that the audience like won't even be able to figure out like what that means. And so there's a lot of weird like gadgets and signs. He's like, it doesn't have to make sense. Just make it like interesting to look at, basically. Um and and I see that. I think the biggest thing they nailed was the 80s nostalgia cafe. I thought that was a really nice touch because when you watch it now, it does look really nostalgic. Yeah. And, and, you know, does remind you of like if you go somewhere that's like, oh, 80s party or something. It's it's very much a sort of cartoonish version of the 80s. And I kind of like that about you it. You know, like, so. like Michael Jackson like and uh, Ronald Reagan there to have water yeah. drinks and stuff. and. <laughs> <laughs> and the Ronald Reagan thing kind of calls back a little bit to the first movie too. Yeah. Since he says, you know, Ronald Reagan is the president. He's like the actor. Yeah. No way. You know, there's a lot of like a repeated stuff that happens in this movie. That's really just being nostalgic for the first film, but then it's sort of a 
about nostalgia. I don't know. I just think that's really clever um, that they did it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and in any time that they repeat a joke, because normally, you know, people point it out in a sequel when a joke is repeated, they're like, oh, that's so dumb. But in this movie, they call it out. Like whenever uh, the hoverboard scene happens, which is really similar to the skateboard scene in the first one, um, he even like pulls off that part of the what he thinks is a scooter. And um, then when they ride away or when he rides away and he's holding onto that car, Biff sees it, old Biff sees it. And he goes, this seems familiar, yeah. <laughs> you know, like they, they do a really good job of sort of making of this movie sort of making fun of itself so that instead of feeling like overwhelmed with seeing the same repeated gags, the, the movie's like aware of it and it's kind of having fun along with the audience and, you know, the first movie was nostalgic for the 50s. And now the second movie is nostalgic for the first movie. And I just think that that's a cool double layer that was in that uh, that video I told you about. Um, mm. Kind of mentions that a lot. And, and I think that's why this film works. Well, I think, too, like, when, if um, movies, sequels from, like, this time period. Because so I was watching, um, I watched the first Home Alone, Home Alone 2 around Christmas, you know, a few weeks ago. And uh, the second <laughs> one, I know a lot of people don't like it i i actually really like it because that was the one that i grew up with more but it is a repeat of the first movie i mean and there's certain plot points that it like recycles or or brings up again i feel like that was kind of a a trend at that time period of like sequels to it had to like reference things from the first one and you know it, it relied on jokes that you know had you not seen the first one you might not understand type thing um but yeah. I, I guess, and so I think some people would say that it's lazy or think that's a flaw, but I think for this movie, it does it just enough, but it doesn't do it too much to where it like overstays its welcome, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah, I completely agree. It, it, it It's sort of a, a paradox because I think the audience wants to see, even like with, say, Home Alone 2, they want to see Kevin from the first movie, yeah. right? That's why they like it. They like him. They know who he is. They know why they like him. And so if he does things that are too different or inconsistent with the first one, then he's not Kevin anymore. And so I think studios have such a hard time figuring out that formula and i think so do directors apparently and a reason why they don't really love doing them um, because you're kind of saying i want to see the exact same thing again but different and it's i think that's just so challenging and i think this movie like going to the future which is called back to the future and so this one actually going to the future i think it sort of um scratches an itch that you had watching the first one where you're kind of like this is really cool but you can't help but wondering well if i could travel at any point in time, wouldn't I check out the future? So I think it sort of gives you all that nostalgia of the first one and calls back to it, but then it gives you a fresh, different, um, a different plot. Although people have criticized this movie saying it doesn't have a plot in a way because Marty doesn't really have a big character arc. Nobody does because we want Marty and Doc to stay the same people, right? We want them to be just like they were in the first one. Well, that's hard to do and and not give them any character growth um, at the same time. But this movie is more about like just having fun and enjoying everything that they're up to. It's just about time travel. And so I think when you look at it through that lens, instead of trying to figure out, you know, plot holes or plot points and problems like just enjoy it it's a ride right. uh through time and and that's what makes it i think successful. And i think it, it to, for me it has a very just fascinating plot with the time paradox stuff that they do in the movie like it's it goes in a way that i would have never thought to to probably you know explore like for me it, i think 
I, I, you know, like when I first saw this movie, I was like, totally can't remember what I was thinking, but I thought I have this feeling like that I wanted to stay in the future the whole time, you know, for the whole movie. Mm -hmm. And then it goes back to 1985 and then you go back to the fifties. And so like, it's kind of cool how it jumps around and creates this really interesting, um, you know, this plot. Obviously, yeah, like you said, the, the character development isn't necessarily as strong as other other stuff, but it still created a very interesting plot that's that's a lot of fun to to go on these twists and turns with the characters. You're kind of oh, like experiencing sure. this. It's almost like a ride with the characters. You're experiencing everything they're going through and, and trying to um, just be on this ride with them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like after watching that, I was like, I wish I could be Marty. I wish Doc would take me on adventures with him. Like I loved these right. films. Um, I guess let's talk a little bit about the plot. Do you want to touch on like some favorite scenes you have? We can just kind of go in order of what's sure. your favorite. Yeah. So, um, well, actually, before I do that real quick, I wanted to see, ask you real fast. What was, if you oh, had sure. a favorite like um, uh, invention or something from this this future period, like what was, what's one that, that you liked the most, I guess? Hmm. It's a tough call. You know, the hydrator. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of having fresh pizza from a tiny pizza, or at least I want to try it. Um, You know, I'm going to have to go with the hoverboard. (laughs) I think that's the coolest thing. It's either the hoverboard or his shoes um, my whole life. I I think you can buy the Mm -hmm. shoes now. uh, But uh, despite that being such obvious product placement, you know, such obvious product placement for Mattel and (laughs) Nike, I – it's very appealing to me. So I, yeah, I think I'm going to go with the hoverboard. What about so you? So the, obviously the hoverboard is, yeah, awesome. And so that's the one like my <laughs> eight-year-old self would definitely pick. But I think the <laughs> um, the hydrator, I think as an adult, I'm like, that would be amazing <laughs> to just like throw something <laughs> in there and have it be done in like seconds. Like, so anyways, cause that's like cooking is not my thing. And so, but I, I wish I could try to cook more. And so like that to me, I was like, I would love that. That would. Yeah. It's better than blue yeah. apron, you know, <laughs> but, but yeah, so anyways, there's a lot of fun stuff in there, but I thought it like the hydrator, I think would be the most practical one that I would enjoy now. <laughs> that is a m- more practical. I'm not sure how much use I would get out of the yeah. hoverboard, but the pizza you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Pizza Hut paid for that. I, I saw like in the behind the scenes, they mentioned that Pizza Hut came with like all, they brought their own oven. They brought like their whole kitchen on wow. set. Um, and they started designing all these pizzas and how they would look. And the pizzas that they didn't end up picking, the cast got to eat. And like Robert Zemeckis was like, that made my job really easy. Like I didn't have to come up with a design or anything. Pizza Hut just took care That's of that cool. part. <laughs> and what's funny is the other day when we were watching this movie, um, I, we actually ordered Pizza Hut and I said, oh, you know what? When we watch this, I think they eat Pizza Hut in the movie. And we were trying to remember, like, it was either going to be Pizza Hut or Domino's. And when that part came up, we were like, Good, yes, yeah. we, we planned this evening perfectly. <laughs> um, but so as far as you're saying, like other plot points, I think, you know, I feel like we covered a lot of stuff in the future. Obviously, that sets up the the almanac, you know, right off pretty quick. Um, and that's going to be the major plot one of the major plot devices to go throughout the movie but i think like the the sequence where marty and doc they go back to 1985 is 
probably one of my favorites. And as like Marty's discovering this alternate version of his present is just so fascinating. And to be, to be in that position would be so terrifying. Um, especially I love the scene as he finally walks up to the big, huge uh, Biff's big hotel and he's watching the video and, and it's like Biff married him, his mom and he just like freaks out. You know, I just think that's such a fun and like, but also it's like terrifying at the same time to see this guy that, that has only been a pain in your family side for ever since, you know, since the fifties. Yeah. Somehow they let this give this guy a lot of power over them. He is uh, a terrible bully and he's a Biff is actually one of my favorite. I think when it, when I was a kid, I, I remember feeling guilty that I liked him so much. Did you feel that way? Like, oh, yeah. such a good yeah, yeah. Bad he's, guy. He's, he's a really good – because I remember it in the cartoon too because he's in the cartoon. He has a son in the cartoon and they're they're, they're definitely like toned <laughs> down, but they're like the, the villains in the show and uh, at least from what I can remember. And um, But yeah, I always liked Biff and I always thought, you know, like I think Thomas F. Wilson, it's, it's kind of a shame that he hasn't gone on to – he's done a lot of voice acting and stuff, but like he hasn't um, been a bigger star because I think he's so good in this. And maybe it's because it's, he's really good at playing that one character. I don't know, but um, I don't know. Do you, I, in the Batman animated series from the nineties, he voices Tony Zuko, who's the kills yes, Robin's parents. And right. so I remember as a kid, I'd watch them like, this sounds like Biff. And then I finally figured out later. But, <laughs> but yeah, he, he, but I think what, What's like fun about this movie is we get to see him in in four different iterations. Basically, we see um, old Biff, we see him as Griff, um, you know, his grandson, and then you see him as this this business tycoon, and then you get to go back and see him again as a teenager. And so you get four layers of Biff throughout this movie, and it's so much fun to see the different versions. But really, at the end of the day, they're all the same person. They're all the same. You know, yeah, <laughs> he doesn't yeah. change much. Yeah, and he, he's even old Biff. I mean, it's crazy, like how many different versions of himself or that character he had to play. And I think these these movies work because, in part, because he works. I think he's a big part of why they're successful. Um, I think he did such a great job with a character that's pretty one dimensional. Right. I mean, there's not really a whole lot of depth to Biff. And I think when you try to look at it objectively, it's like, why is this? random jerk like such a problem like how how does he ruin marty's life and his family like how do they let that happen but these movies such do such a good job of explaining that and i think he just does such a great job with that character it's like no matter what scenario biff is put in he's the same but it's fun to see him in all those different ways and yeah this biff tastic future that's terrible is one of my favorite parts too yeah and i think it's funny like for them to come up with that idea like let's let's come up with this thing where biff what would happen if biff was to be in charge of everything you know and then to find a way to execute it and obviously like you know i don't know if that's realistic if that would happen but i think it's just still fun to like (laughs) speculate and see how it would turn out um but one thing i really have always appreciated is when they go back when doc is explaining um, the time paradox and how it all happened. I feel like they do a very good job at explaining it in a very concise way where it's like, cause you're still kind of confused and you're like, okay, got it. That's how this happened. 
this is how the call yeah. people. It's just like it's very concise. It's very just straightforward. Even as a kid, I feel like I was able to kind of grasp, wrap my head around it, and get what was going on. Oh, definitely. I think Christopher Lloyd's delivery, his like wide-eyed, wild, energetic performance is what makes those parts like not boring. Right. Because otherwise he's really just pointing to a chalkboard, you know, and like explaining it. But because he's so animated, he really makes you feel like those stakes are high and they're real. Um and 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 so interesting. Mm -hmm. Um and I, I like this the plot of this movie being that you know, I was thinking about it before we started recording. I was kind of like, in a way, this is all Doc's fault because he goes to the future and sees that Marty's family is going to go in a bad direction. So they go stop it that inadvertently causes Marty to get greedy and, and get that almanac. And then that causes Biff to have it like they caused all their own paradox <laughs> completely. But, you know, at the same time, I think it's really sweet that he you know, Marty was such a good friend to him that he just couldn't allow this future to happen, even though it's what's like meant to be. Right. And I think that theme comes up a lot, even in the third one, like sometimes things are meant to be and doc claims that we have to keep the future how it is and we can't interfere, but he constantly breaks his own rule because of his personal connection to people. You know, yeah. he, he knows that that's how the future's supposed to be, but because he loves Marty, he can't, he just can't let that happen. And right. I think that ends up happening in the third movie with his girlfriend or wife. Yeah. Um, she was supposed to die and she doesn't. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I like that. I also like when they're in this horrible 1985, like the way it opens, like you mentioned, where he goes to his house and it's not his home, mm-hmm. which kind of reminded me um, growing up. Did you ever watch uh, Flight of the Navigator? Yeah, I I don't totally remember it a ton, but I, I definitely watched <laughs> it. Yeah, it's like there's a scene in that movie where like the kid goes missing and he's gone for like 10 years or something. Right. And so he comes back out of the woods and he goes back to his house and none of his family's living there. And I remember as a kid, that was the scariest concept yeah, I could possibly imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and so like this part kind of reminds me of that. Um, although watching it, it's very funny. It's like, it's, you know, jarring for him to go to his house and his family's not living there. Um, and that poor little girl's terrified this full-grown man like climbs into her bedroom window and the dad's like hell no and like you know has the baseball bat that's very funny um i like that part and i also like when he runs into uh the principal (laughs) (laughs) he's got like the shotgun (laughs) yeah and he's still like slacker i don't know there's something about that whole scene that's sort of almost like post-apocalyptic type portrayal of hill valley i just I just love that part. Yeah. No, (laughs) and it's like, I feel like you spent just enough time in that world where it's like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just like, it gets your curiosity high just enough. And the one, the one thing about this, this part of the movie though, that's always been like the, the saddest is just seeing Marty's mom, Lorraine and how she, she ends up with Biff and, you know, I mean, obviously not by choice, but and, but just like how she tries to to walk away from him and then he's like, you know, I've got all of your family, you know, I'm paying for all this stuff. And, and, and it just kind of brings her back and you see her like drinking and, and, and it's just, it's just so sad how she's kind of just in this like terrible state of, you know, just drugs and, and drinking and miserable and her true love is dead. And, and so I, yes. one thing that I've, I was never clear on, does she know that Biff killed him? 
I I don't know. Like, I have to say, as much as, you know, I give all this praise to Thomas F. Wilson, I have to kind of give the same thing to Leah Thompson. The way that she plays Lorraine, again, in all these different time periods and different ways, is so interesting and so good. I feel like if they weren't so good in their roles, this would all seem so ridiculous and hard to buy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have wondered that I, when I was watching it this time. Um, I feel like she does know, but she feels trapped. That's what I she, think. Like, to me, like, or at least I, she tells herself. Well, yeah, and I, as I was going into it this time, I, I kind of just assumed that she does because I, I feel like that's how I remembered it. But then there's a part where like Biff says to Marty, like the same gun that killed your old man. And he seems to be shocked that Biff killed my dad. And so – Oh, that's true. And so I'm, I'm choosing to, in my head canon, to be like, she doesn't know. Because to me, that makes it... Um, Too terrible. <laughs> for her to know that and then to still marry him anyways and to be, you know... So that's that's kind of how I look at it. But, you know... Yeah. So I was just curious though, if I missed something <laughs> with it. But. Well, another weird part about the scene that I noticed watching this time is... Um, I don't know if you've heard this story, but like in the first movie, you know, he has that scene where his mom finds him when he passes out and takes him back to her room and sort of comes on to him. And he's like, whoa, mom, no. Um, but he can't call her mom. But he goes, whoa, you're young. Yeah. And so they replay that joke in this part. He gets knocked out by Biff and his goons or whatever, and then brought back to her room. And then he's like, whoa, mom, you look different. I just thought it was interesting. They replay that that joke again and that was actually a criticism of the first one um whenever they were trying to get the first one made i think disney said that the first plot was too creepy that it seemed like it was about a boy in love with his mom which i don't think it is but it's just a funny right. um issue that happens and then they replay that same sort of uncomfortable joke in the second one yeah. I, just, I just noticed that more this time i guess as an adult yeah no <laughs> right well they're doing the third one too when he wakes up and it's his which oh yeah because his mom marty anyways but <laughs> he, he needs some therapy for sure yeah. but yeah he, he needs to get that worked out um but yeah so it it's i just thought that was interesting yeah. but yeah I, I i think you're right i guess if she does know maybe it's like subconsciously but yeah i, I guess that would make a lot of sense she would marry him if he killed his her right. husband unless he had some kind of leverage over like i'm gonna kill your kids but yeah maybe, it just seems uh, a little yeah. too dark <laughs> so an, another scene that I love, like it's, and it just like, it gives me chills every time I watch it is when he goes to the cemetery and he, you know, when she reveals, his mom reveals he's been in the cemetery, his dad has been in the cemetery and he goes and sees the tombstone and like the music is great in that sequence. Um, and it's just, it's just like this really like the grave, the graveyard looks super creepy Yes, I love that yeah, part. I completely arrives, agree. And it's uh it's just this really strong, like dramatic moment in the movie that I, I always love. So I, I totally agree. And I feel like all of this <clears throat> happens so fast. Um, it's kind of like a way to drive the point home. You know, he shows up in his in this timeline and his house isn't the same house. And then, uh, you know, there's people like his town has gone to hell and then he sees how powerful Biff is. And then he's sort of reeling from all that information and her, 
her her his mother being in love with Biff or married to him and then you know she he says well where's dad like he's kind of like okay this this timeline is messed up i'm just going to go talk to my dad and see if we can fix this because you know fixing things with his dad is how he fixed everything the first time right. in the first movie um and then when she's like oh marty you know yeah. <laughs> he's in the cemetery you know i always like remember that part so well but and then the lightning strike right. and then suddenly he's in the cemetery like yes that whole part is like I don't know. It, it happens so fast, but when you really break it down, like it's super dark. Like Biff is a murderer now. Yeah. <laughs> like one little almanac, and he becomes a murderer. Which um, I mean, like he's a pretty, <laughs> you know, douchey guy before that, but like he wasn't a murderer, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. It really raises the stakes of like how bad this guy right. is. Yeah. But then you find out his ancestors from the third one. They were he's pretty. They're pretty. Bad oh yeah, too. Mad Dog Tannen. Um. Yeah. Well, and um. One thing that's cool too about the alternate timeline, we talked about like all the cool little details from the future, but is um, when Doc shows Marty the paper of him being put into an insane asylum, you see this like other blurb in the newspaper. It's like Nixon seeks fifth term. You know, I thought that was really funny too. Just like, yeah, it's another good callback. Yeah. All the little like detail they put into like that stuff to, to show that this is a different timeline, you know? Right. Man, yeah, if Biff gets power, apparently the whole world just unravels. Right. It's not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think it's um it's funny too to watching it now and like there's so many foreshadowing for number three. Um Yeah, I really didn't pick up on that as a kid, but as an adult I was surprised by how much there is in this movie. Right. Yeah. Like in the video of Biff's life, you hear like Oh, and Mad Dog, his his great ancestor, Mad Dog Tannen, you know, helped found Hill Valley and stuff like that, you know, and then yeah, like blatant lies, <laughs> right? <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just funny though. There's a lot of little things in there that sets up number three that I sometimes didn't pick up on all the time. Oh, for sure, like the video game scene is yeah. like an old west type uh, game, and then also whenever Biff has his, uh, whenever there's that part where he's like, "You can't go on water, you need power." Yeah. Um. His the his new thing that he takes out says "Mad Dog" on it. I noticed. Mm, yeah. Uh, this time, and also Marty watches that scene from a, uh, or not Marty. It's a. Uh, it's actually Biff is watching that scene from a, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right. And that, you know, later, you know, uh, Marty calls himself Clint Eastwood and literally replays that scene. Right. Well, <laughs> so, then the, uh, yeah, there's a lot of There's that. Doc's, the time machine, when he, like, it malfunctions for a second, it goes back to 1885, you know. That's right, yeah. yeah. So. And he mentions he wanted to go yeah. to the past, mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of setup. And again, that's why I say, like, I feel like there's a lot of nostalgia in the movie because um you know marty watching this old western and then they basically like play that out in the second movie it's like they figured out like if we go back to the past it it's almost more interesting to the audience than the future so i feel like they don't spend a lot of time in the future even in the second movie right um and that seems to happen a lot but yeah no you're right i i didn't i couldn't believe how much setup there was in this one it's like pretty genius actually i really liked all the Easter eggs. Well, and it's like now, I, it's funny because like these movies, I feel like I have to, when I watch one, I got to watch all of them. So it was kind of weird because I I decided I was just going to watch the, the second one just on its own. But I was like, now I'm like, I got to go back and watch both of them because it's, 
it's just you know that's one of those movies like those those shows like the lord of the rings is the same way it's like i can't just watch one you know i gotta go and watch them all so yeah i bought them all at the same time because i was like oh man i just love these so much and the way that they feed into each other you're right you kind of just feel almost like guilty right. just <laughs> watching the second one it, it's connected so much to the first and the third one that you're like i feel like i'm missing something i, yeah. I gotta go back <laughs> so yeah i completely um, agree but I also think like this movie, I think it ends in a cool way, like to go back to 1955 and, and maybe that like, so I, I guess I could see how some people think that's like a, like a cheap idea, but I think what we're, why it works for me is because it, there's so much tension in them not running into their other selves, you know? Yes, no, I, I agree. And, and like, they've done this before and we've seen this before, but how do you make it different? And it's like by not interfering, like you said, by keeping right. it the exact same. It, like yeah. the stakes are very high and it makes it really interesting to see like, okay, how's this going to happen? And, and you know, like the whole scene of him almost getting the almanac, it literally like comes down to like the very end. Like he has it, you think he's good. And then, then his old self hits him with the door and he, you know, then Biff takes advantage and steals it back and, he has to chase him on his hoverboard, you know, like it's just such a cool, fun um, way to end the movie. It, it makes like the stakes really high for me. And I I always forget about the part where Biff, like old Biff, like kind of like has a stroke or something and like dies because he shouldn't be there or that part of the movie is like kind of crazy to me. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, when he comes back to the future? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like disturbing what's going on there because i feel like it doesn't really like exp i mean to me it's like does he hit himself with his cane or does he because that's what it looks like at first because then the piece breaks off or does he yeah is he having a stroke or like what is it like yeah. because the time is changing you know that's I mean, what i think it is because it's like changing back or something um but uh when they did the behind the scenes they were gonna have a whole part where he like like disappeared or like um yeah, like where he dies real slowly and disappears, and then they decided it was like too morbid, and they took it out. That uh, would have kind of explained, like I think that's what it is. It's that they're erasing what he did, so he kind of doesn't exist anymore. Got it. Or at least that version of him. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's like I think it would have been too too much for audiences, even though he's the bad guy. It's like they don't really want to see him suffering and dying. It's too dark, yeah. <laughs> so you just kind of see a little bit of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's this weird part of the movie though, that it kind of doesn't really explain why he's in so much pain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is weird. It's like, I guess they had to keep it in, but yeah, you're kind of like, wait, why is that happening? And then they thought about explaining it, but they were like, it takes too long and it would make the movie too long and it's too sad. So we'll just skip it. Yeah. So they just kind of gloss over it. And I, I feel like I actually forget about that part oh, until yeah, I totally. watch the movie again because it's not really explained. Right. Well, this movie is interesting too because it, it zips along really fast. It's like, I think it's just under two hours and, but it feels like a 90 minute movie sometimes to me, but it, not that that's a bad yeah. thing. It's just like the pace, the pacing is very fast. Every scene, I feel like it has something like it's, there's no fluff in this movie. It's just like moves really quick. Oh, completely. Yeah. I totally agree. Like more so than the first and third movie for sure. Yeah. Um, um, I was going to say one thing about the ending. Oh, and I like, I, I really like how in the ending it, 
you, you like you get the uh, manure scene again from the first one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although my favorite manure scene is in the third oh, yeah, one, but yeah, good. I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. He's like, I hate manure. It's like, I guess. Yeah, and every every one of manure gets more gross looking too. I, I noticed. <laughs> As is just desserts for right. me. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but I also think like the, the cliffhanger of this movie is, is really interesting too. Like I, you know, and, and I was thinking about it, like, I wish I could go back. Cause I, I definitely, as a kid, I, I was old enough, I think to know, like to be kind of on the edge of my seat to be like, Oh my gosh, what happens? But then we just pop in the next one because. That's right. We, yeah. That's we, a good the point. Two and three. The first, I remember the first time and, my brother and you know my siblings and I we we had the movies for like three days and we watched these movies a whole bunch because we were on break. But I would I would love to know <laughs> what it's like to have been, and you know like there's a lot of movies like with Empire Strikes Back. I would have loved to have known what that would be like to sit through that cliffhanger for three years. But this was only I think it was only six months. Um, but still, I would have would I don't know. I, I'm curious like how that would have been to be in the theaters and to see this movie end and be like. Cause you know, doc's okay. Cause you get the letter, but you still don't know how they're going to get back to him, how this is all going to play out. And I love, but I love how it ends of him going back to old doc or younger doc, I guess. And in the fifties, yeah, fifties doc. which one? Yeah. And, um, Marty, you know, he sends Marty back to the future and then Marty runs around the corner. <laughs> He's like, no, I just sent you back to the future. <laughs> and, uh, and then the movie, I think it's a, Anyways, I, I like I love I always like to think about what it would be like if I had seen that in theaters and like how I would have reacted to that cliffhanger. Right. And like at the end they're like coming soon, you know, back to the future part three. Yeah, they have like a trailer like, right there, right after. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was, you know, that predates a lot of films doing that. Now that's pretty common to watch the end of a movie like you do with like the Marvel films and they give you like a little clip of what's coming up. Mm-hmm. Um I feel like this was one of the first films to actually do that, if not the first. So a lot of first with the camera technology and and uh just the marketing aspect of this. This whole I kind of touched on it earlier, this whole movie is so heavily marketed. <laughs> you know, like it has a lot of advertisements in it, but um but but it works for the plot of the movie in a way that it it doesn't feel like it's intruding on the film because I guess it's familiar stuff and that's a big strength of this movie is a lot of it feels familiar when you're watching it you know like when he gets a Pepsi and um, you know just different things like that that happen Texaco all those things help us make connections I right. think even especially like when it's in the future or even in the past you're like oh I I'm familiar with Texaco I'm familiar with Pepsi I'm familiar with Nike or Nikkei, as they say in the third one. Um, But yeah, I I feel like it's a, it's a franchise where all that kind of worked in its favor, like in a way that, you know, you can't, you don't really look at these movies and you're like, oh, this is just like a big, you know, commercial and it's such a cash grab. You know, I I don't have that feeling about this trilogy. Um, I guess we really have to credit Robert Zemeckis for being able to, to marry those things and, and not make us feel that way when we Yeah, it definitely it. is a very natural way for them to put product placement in the movie. Whereas like, you know, I remember I saw the, I don't know, one of the last Michael Bay Transformers movies and it's just like, that's what I was thinking. Like a Coke <laughs> truck and then a, it just sits there for a second. And then a, transformer bust through it it's just like oh my gosh like it's <laughs> <laughs> a little but, much <laughs> but yeah, I, yeah and the thing is like i i'm not of i'm not that picky with product placement i don't mind like i know a man of steel people give that movie a lot of grief 
for like the IHOP scene and stuff like that. But like, oh gosh, I didn't. Even I, I think to me, it's like it's we live in a commercialized world, so why wouldn't we see it in movies True. like that? And yeah, that that's a small anyway. That's a tangent, but um. So for this, I think oh, no. the movie that was very it was very natural, and I didn't. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of fun to see like like the Pizza Hut thing, like. What would Pizza Hut be like right. in the future or whatever, they did it you know? In a fun way. <laughs> it's like, don't worry, Pizza Hut will still be here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it becomes like fun. I, I think the Blade Runner movie kind of had that in it too, where, you know, they show this future and some of the stuff in the uh, advertising isn't around anymore, but it, it's kind of cool. It becomes like this cool Easter egg thing to see in the movie. It doesn't feel like overwhelming. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I thought about when I was watching this that I'd never thought about before, um, I read that, or, or people have compared it to, and Robert Zemeckis agreed, that the movies kind of feel like they're a little bit inspired by Frank Capra films, like It's a Wonderful Life. Mm. Do you kind of see how it sort of parallels It's a Wonderful Life in a little bit, like how that movie almost has time travel elements to it? There's a lot of like going back to the town and running right. into people. And yeah, it's like... yeah, I. I and I feel like that's a strength of these movies because they're about time travel and that sounds very science fiction driven and, and very like that. Could, it could be a totally different tone, but I felt like they kept the whole tone of all three of these relatively light in that way. And it does kind of feel a little bit like it's a wonderful life at, at times. Yeah, no, totally. And I, and it's to me a bit, um, Charles Dickens, Christmas Carol too. Yes. Bit, yeah. You know? Oh yeah. They mentioned that too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but I think one thing that's just I this movie was the first my first introduction to anything time travel that concept of time travel, and so like anytime I see time travel in another movie or in like a comic book or anything, it's it's always compared to this. Like that's that's how I always see it. Like it's always this was my introduction to the concept of time travel. So anytime I read another story or movie, it's always kind of like. Wait, they're they're not going into DeLorean. They don't got to drive a car. (laughs) And so, like, what about all the gigawatts they need? Yeah, it's. (laughs) But it's funny though because I think the idea of having a car drive you in back into time um, was pretty unique. I don't. Oh, for sure. But but like always, kind of having that be your first exposure to it. It's like getting in some like little. I don't know. Like I remember, like in the X Men cartoons from the nineties, they were like. Characters like Bishop and Kay will have these little devices on their like wrists. They'd push buttons and they would time travel. And it was like, wait, you can just do it instantly? No, you need you need a car. You need to go 88 miles. <laughs> out. You know, that was just my how I, how it how it developed to me. But I think about like movies of time travel, and like, I think there's a lot of great ones. Um, but this will always be the the cream of the crop for me, at least. You know, like I'll always this will always be my favorite time travel film and, or story just because of how formative it was for me as a kid. But just to go back and watch them and they're just, they're still for me so much fun. I've seen these movies so many times, you know, and it's, it's up there for me as, as far as like, you know, I'm a huge Star Wars fan and I love Indiana Jones. Like it's up there for me with those of like movies that oh, for sure. I can just rewatch all the time. Um, if anyone's ever like, Hey, let's put on back to the future. I'm totally down. And I, you, you know, like I just watched this movie a couple of days ago. I'm someone want to watch it with me tomorrow. I, I totally watch it, you know? So to me, that just, it says a lot because it's, it's a timeless all for all three of them, you know, 
but um, they're very timeless and they're movies that I will continue to go back and rewatch. And um, hopefully my kids will enjoy one day, you know, but if not, I can. Oh, for sure. So. Yeah, I think, um, you know, because of this movie and especially like in the third one, he names his kids Jules and Vern. And so I went and watched the, the original Time Machine movie. Like I became crazily obsessed with these films. And so I, it started making me reach out to other time travel stuff because, like you said, it, it was probably my first experience uh, watching a movie about time travel. Um, and there, there have been a lot of great classics, some that th- these movies even call back to. Um, but yeah, it's like, to me, a time traveling machine is the DeLorean. Or perhaps I'll allow, uh, you know, from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, what was that, a phone booth? Oh, right. Yeah. Kind of like Doctor Who. <laughs> so it's like, it has to be one of those two things for me. Um, but yeah, like this trilogy is up there for me with, yeah, with Star Wars. I mean, maybe it's higher. I don't know. I, I have such a deep connection to these films. My dad bought me a Hill Valley High ring when I was like in high school (laughs) and he bought, yeah. And I even have a jacket. I need to take a picture of that. Um, But like, I I just, it's one of the first films that I became so in love with. I just had to learn everything about. And I feel like my love for these movies goes along with the love for just learning about the filmmaking process, because I feel like I've watched more behind the scenes about this trilogy than I have about other films. There's just something about how magical and and creative it all was. It's like when I read about it, I almost feel like I was somehow a part of it. I don't know. It just, it's really, it it was really um, just fun to learn about all that stuff and, and continues to be one of my favorites for sure. Yeah. And, and it's, it's one of those things too, where like, I, I wish, you know, you, you've talked about like, you got the Hill Valley ring and stuff. Like I I feel like when I was introduced to these movies, like the memorabilia and all the merchandise wasn't like around as much anymore and so it's like man i wish i could like get some of that stuff you know or go back as a kid and have you know back to the future i never had like back to the future action figures but but i guess that to me is is a big testament of why this movie is so great or why these movies is because i didn't have all that stuff like i did for star wars or um you know even like batman as a kid which helped me carry on my adventures with those characters outside of the movies or, or TV shows. But like this movie, all I had was these three movies and, and it still stuck with me. I still loved them and I still revisited them all the time. And um, you know, kind of the, you know, having the cartoon as well. Like I think I would go and, you know, my brothers, I'm sure we'd play like our own adventures and stuff as Marty, but um yeah. Anyway, it's just, it's such, it's something that will always stay with me and I look forward to being able to rewatch these movies well into the rest of my, you know, for the rest of my life. So. Oh, for sure. I guess the only way it's still living on right now is probably through Rick and Morty. We haven't mentioned that. But. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, a little bit through that. So, um, which I do like that show too. Um, so I guess we kind of already answered these questions, but what, what keeps you coming back to this movie? Um, just, it's kind of like what I said, you know, just the, I mean, obviously I have huge nostalgia for it, but it's just, there's so much fun. Um, they're not terribly deep movies, you know, they're not anything that's <laughs> like, you know, this great psychological message or something you can d- pick apart, but at the end of the day, it's just, they're just, they're just so much fun. Like they're just great characters. Um, you know, Michael J. Fox, it's, it's really sad that he ended up getting Parkinson's and his career is, you know, obviously he still does stuff, but it's limited and 
that's always been really sad to me because he's so so much fun so likable in this film uh, oh for sure and then and christopher lloyd as well like it's and it's kind of an odd duo it's a teenager and an older guy that's <laughs> kind of Yep, that no one ever questions. There's a really good bit that uh, John Mulaney has about that. He's like, his best friend is a disgraced nuclear physicist. Say that with me, a disgrace. He's like, that shouldn't be happening. Right. <laughs> it's but it works. You don't even, yeah, yeah you know, you don't think it much works. about it. And so, yeah, I just think, you know, for all the things we've talked about, I this movie and this movie specifically, though, the it, it goes, it has more twists and turns and more crazy out there concepts than I think the other two films do. So I think for that, that's what makes this movie unique. And it's hard for me to, to rank these films, you know, or to say which one I like more, but there's times (laughs) where I do, I feel like I do enjoy number two more than number one or, but there's, you know, other times number one might be the, the more enjoyable film, but at the end of the day, it's just, they're both just equally super fun and, and just a blast for me to watch. So. Sure. And how are you going to pitch these to your children in the future? Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't thought about that. I need to get on that. But yeah, just, you know, like, I don't know. I'll just probably make them. We're, I'm just going to say, we got a really great movie. You're going to watch it and <laughs> you're going to like it. it. You have to sit through it and then you can <laughs> yeah. tell me what you think. After. But, but no, yeah, I think, um, I don't know. I think I'm just always going to slowly plant seeds of, you know, telling them, telling them bits of like, okay, this, uh, there's this really cool movie where this thing happens. You know, Cause I feel like that's what my dad did. Like he would kind of like talk up a movie before we'd watch it, you know, something. That he liked. Oh, okay. I remember like he kind of did that with Rocky. He, he would tell me bits of it and it was like, we set a time. Okay. We're gonna watch it on Friday night, you know? And then I'd throughout the week, he'd be like, give me little tidbits. And I'd be like, oh, that sounds cool. You know? So, yeah. Maybe <laughs> something like that. <laughs> you can ask him for tips then. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I uh, I think for me, I I agree with you. I think it's hard for me to rank these films. I love all of them. And I guess I could say, maybe I could be a little bit objective here and say that perhaps the first one was the best of the three in terms of it's the most complete film and it stands on its own because they weren't planning on making a sequel or a right. third one. But at the same time, it it took such interesting risks and... It, it takes such great twists and turns throughout the movie. And, you know, I'm a sucker for nostalgia. I know there's a lot of hate sometimes for nostalgia, but I enjoy it. Um, I feel nostalgic when I watch these movies and it just, I feel really good. I, I know we haven't mentioned it a lot, but um, the music in this film by Alvin Silvestri oh, is just so good. I mean, when I hear that Back to the Future theme, I mean, I feel like my heart is like racing. I'm excited all mm-hmm. over again. I just love it. So um, so I think that that's part of it too. Um, definitely the nostalgia, like you mentioned. But I think this is one of, it's definitely the most exciting out of the three movies. There's a lot of stuff happening and it's almost dizzying the action pace of this film, but I really enjoy it. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to pitch this movie to someone. Um, it's hard because there is that fear that because they didn't grow up with it and because it is so 80s, it's like it's kind of hard to even describe to someone yeah. because the, the plot is so crazy. Right. I, know, <laughs> you know? I, I don't know if I've had an experience where like someone, I you know, like I've, I've shown this to someone or I've had a conversation with someone that 
like watched it as an adult. You know, I don't know if I've had that experience. Like I'm trying to think. I know I've seen I've met people I've never right. seen it, but I've never like had one where like someone hadn't seen it and they watched it and they were like, Oh, it doesn't hold up, you know, or whatever. But I know, that sounds so painful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean so my probably with my kids will probably be that that'll probably be one of my first experiences of that. So it'll be <laughs> You're going to be like sweating while they watch it. <laughs> kids hopefully, better like this. Hopefully my kids will enjoy older stuff because I'll, I have a lot of stuff I want to watch with my kids. So hopefully that's, this will be one. they'll be used to the style of filmmaking. So. Yeah. They'll be like the cool kids, the like film nerds. Um, yeah. I mean, my father introduced a lot to me and so did my mother. So I, I do think, I do think that plays a part. So we got to keep passing this on to the next generation right. any way we can. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- these films are a classic. I think they're Robert Zemeckis at his best. Um, I agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this movie and probably, I mean, I like Forrest Gump, but this, these movies in Who Framed Roger Rabbit were like, they were big deals for me growing up. So th- they're my absolute favorites. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say. Um, well, thank you, Thomas. Um, thank you for coming on when you aren't feeling well. I feel so bad about that. <laughs> Oh, it's okay. I'm 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 on the mend. It's just my voice is a little raspy still. So Oh, no worries. Um yeah. do you want to go ahead and plug where can people find you? Yeah, so I'll uh, and I, I appreciate you having me back on. It's always been it's always a blast. Um I love your format of the show, how you we just talk about movies we love, so it's always fun to do that. But um yeah, so if people wanted to find me, I have a podcast called Superhero Movie Cast, and it's just we talk about superhero films um we talk about our love for those and um so yeah you could find me on um, facebook at superhero movie cast or on instagram or you can email me at superhero movie cast at gmail.com or just look up the podcast uh, on you know on apple podcast or stitcher wherever you pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts we're, we're there um and yeah it's just a lot of fun i know and lisa you've been on my show we've talked uh we did a batman returns the last yes. time you were there that was so fun that was such a treat seriously i grew up so much with that film and so that was really fun to talk about you guys should definitely yeah. check it out and love being on your show total honor so thank you so much oh, for that. yeah yeah so it was it was fun to talk batman returns it's such a bizarre movie and, and so appreciates it so yeah, it was it was cool to get your perspective too, having seen it like not as much as I did, um, and mm-hmm. and just those two different perspectives. So yeah, go check out that episode. Um, and yeah, thank you again so much for coming on. You'll have to plan your next one. I know you talked, you gave a couple suggestions. Like Arrival was one of them, I think. Yeah, yeah, I love that movie. Um, and if I, you know, I don't I don't know if you want to wait or whatever, but if you ever want to talk Stars Last Jedi. Oh yeah, um, we got to do that I, one too. It's funny because on my last episode of my podcast, I was one of my guests, and she's been on my podcast a lot, so we know each other really well. But she's had issues with the last Jedi. She doesn't love it, she doesn't hate it, but she's she's like, I'm still working through issues. And so, <laughs> in my my day job, I'm a therapist, like mental health therapist. And so I told her, I was like, you know, I'm starting a new type of therapy. Um, and if you want, you can be my first client, but it's, uh, helping people work through their issues with the last Jedi. So <laughs> that's that I'm going to like, and I understand. And like, if people don't like that movie, I'm totally cool with it. But if people are like, Oh, I have issues and I want to work through them. I'm like, I'm your guy. Cause I love, I love talking about it with people and helping them kind of see, like, at least understand where they were trying to come from with that movie, you know? 
But yeah, yeah, any, there's a lot of movies I'd love to talk. So anytime. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much and uh, have a good one. Yeah, you too. Thanks. <laughs>